to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSim by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. Today, I'd like to introduce Allison Robertson, field crops pathologist with Iowa State University Extension. Allison will be discussing the impact of cover crops on seedling diseases. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thanks, Sarah. I'm very happy to be here. Well, to get us started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a professor at Iowa State University. I've been here since um, 2004, and I do research and extension. Um, I am. I love crop diseases. I love working with farmers and agronomists and teaching them how to diagnose those diseases and how to manage those diseases. Um, recently, well, probably about seven years ago, I got into cover crop research when a colleague who is now retired um, asked me if seedling diseases could be responsible for the yield drag that occurs on, that occasionally occurs on corn. Um, following a rye cover crop. And so that's kind of how I got into cover crop research. And I'm really loving it and really enjoying it. There's so many questions and um, we're having fun. Fantastic. Well, let's go ahead and, and get started talking about our topic for today. Um, why don't you share a little bit with us about the trials that you did last year, evaluating the impact of cover crops on seedling disease and corn growth and development? We've been doing these trials for a few years now. The first thing that we wanted to see was, you know, was seedling, were rye cover crops increasing the risk of seedling diseases on corn? And so we did a couple of years of research on that, and we were able to show that, yes, when the rye is terminated with glyphosate um, within a week of planting that corn, that we increase the risk of seedling disease. And of course, here in the Midwest, often our springs are very cold and wet. And that means one of two things, either um, growers can't get into the field to terminate that cover crop to spray the herbicide, or if they can get into the field and spray the glyphosate, it's too cool for that glyphosate to be um, activated. And so the cover crop doesn't die or it dies very, very slowly. And so that, that leaves the farmer with a couple of decisions to make. Um, one of them being, should I, am I going to terminate the cover crop and then plant later? If you plant the corn later, then you run the risk of um, increasing other diseases like foliar diseases, having more severe foliar diseases, or um, you also reduce your yield potential. The other thing is that a farmer could choose to plant the corn and then terminate the rye after planting that corn. And so we call that planting green. 
And so that's been the focus of my research the last couple of years. And that really worried me because based on our previous research, planting into this green cover crop would, is going to increase, I thought would increase the risk of seedling diseases and could increase the risk of that reduced yield following the, that rye cover crop. And so that's what we've been working on, you know, the last couple of years. And we've been work doing small plots, trials on research farms, and we've been working with the practical farmers of Iowa and the Iowa Soybean Association on-farm network to do on-farm trials, so working with commercial farmers. Sounds great. Very fascinating stuff. So let's kind of dig into that topic a little bit more, um, maybe giving us some background information. How can cover crops inadvertently spread disease into those cash crop seedlings? So that's a great question, Sarah. So, and that was the, that's where we had to start our research, right? Was, and so basically we asked, could cover crops be a host for these pathogens that cause seedling disease on cash crops? And so um, we did that research. We, 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 collected rye from the field, and then we looked at the roots from the roots where there were lesions on those roots or, or little bits of rot. We took um, tissue samples, and from those tissue samples, we recovered seedling pathogens that belong to um, the fusarium species and also the pythium species. And then what we did was once we got those pathogens, we then inoculated corn seedlings with those pathogens, and the corn got root rot and seedling disease. And so we were able to show that in this case, we were working with rye, winter rye, that winter rye was a host of these pathogens. And so what's happening is in, um, in that period where the cover crops are planted, these pathogens infect the rye and they grow on the rye, but they don't, they don't cause seedling disease on the rye. And then in the spring, as the rye regrows and we get more roots, those, those pathogens increase. And so what happens is then when we kill the rye, those pathogens are released into the soil and then we come and plant the corn and it's like planting that corn into a Petri dish full of pathogens. And so the, the, and the predominantly pythium goes, ooh, yummy, corn, and jumps onto the corn and starts to cause seedling disease there. So then what is the, the further effect of what happens to that cash crop then or the corn when it's affected by pythium? Okay, so um, the, the kind of symptoms that we see when corn is um, infected with pythium is either we'll get so much root rot that the plants will die or we get enough root rot that that plant is just um, challenged. So it's kind of like a chronic infection. And then what happens is that seedling becomes less vigorous. And so it kind of lags behind its neighbors. And in corn, if you have a plant that's lagging behind its neighbors, it gets outcompeted for water and nutrients. And so then what happens is that that plant just basically becomes what we call a weed. It's smaller and it doesn't produce an ear. And you can imagine that if we're not producing an ear, then we're reducing yield. Well, and if you have enough of those plants that are lagging and don't produce an ear, then that 
would certainly cause a, a reduction in overall yield, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. So that's one, one of the data points that we always collect um, at the end of the growing season as we go in and do a stand count. And we also count the number of plants that do not have an ear um, because we find that that correlates very well with that reduced yield. Okay, so what about uh, nitrogen? Nitrogen is really important for the corn crop to grow. How does using rye as a cover crop influence nitrogen availability for corn seedlings? So that is, that's an awesome question. And it's, that, that is one question that we're, we're trying to work on now. So um, the, the great thing about rye cover crops is they um, suck up all that nitrate that's in the soil, right? And so that nitrate then doesn't get leached into our water sources, and so it protects our water quality. So, I mean, rye is great from that point of view. But the one thing about um, rye is that it has a high carbon to nitrogen ratio. And so that means that when it's decomposing, the microbes that are decomposing it don't have enough nitrogen to decompose this very high carbon to nitrogen um, residue. And so what happens is they start to use nitrogen from the surrounding environment. And so that's one of the questions that we're really interested in because if, if these microbes are decomposing the cover crop and using the nitrogen, one of our questions is, does that mean there's not enough nitrogen for that corn seedling that's trying to germinate and grow? And therefore, um, does that seedling then become more susceptible to this, to this pythium infection and so then get seedling disease? So, you know, I mean, I just, that's a great question. And it's a question that I've had, and I'm now starting to work with a couple of agronomists here at, at Iowa State, Mark Lipton, and Marshall McDaniel, and um, that's one of the questions that we're very interested in is, um, can we tease apart this, this nitrogen? It, we, can we tease apart if nitrogen immobilization is playing a role in this um, scenario that we see? Okay, great. So... Cover crop termination is kind of the the crux of all of this. Have you seen in your research if the method of cover crop termination influences then the susceptibility of corn seedlings or or even soybean seedlings as they're sprouting? So that's another great question. So um, first of all, what I'm going to tell you is that um, soybeans are incredibly resilient and so we don't we don't see this um, effect of cover crops on soybean seedlings we just see it on corn Um, and then as regards the cover crop termination method that's that's another great question and I mean it it is one that comes up from time to time people talk to me about it because we terminate we've we've only ever terminated our crops with glyphosate and there is some um, research that suggests that glyphosate may affect um, pathogens and, and crops and their interaction with crops. Um, so we haven't tried we haven't tried any of the other methods of termination. You know, perhaps using a different herbicide 
or um, or crimping. So I really, I mean, it's a great question. I just, I don't have any data. I, 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 I couldn't tell you. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So you mentioned the earlier that the timing of when that cash crop emerges after cover crop termination um, is, is a factor in all of this. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So this is what I think is happening. Yeah. The funny thing is like, I got into this research and I was like, oh, this is really cool. We just, and then we showed, you know, that there was, there was more seedling disease following a rye cover crop. And so I was like, slam dunk, you know, we're done. And then as I started going out and talking to farmers and agronomists, they started asking me a lot of other questions that, you know, included um, nitrogen and allelopathy. And um, this, this, and so I began to realize that there's so much more playing a role in, in this. So when, as I get back to your question that you asked me about the timing of, of the cover crop termination. So what we find is that if that cover crop is terminated within um, eight days of planting the corn, whether that's eight days before you plant the corn or up to eight days after you plant the corn, which would be a little bit late. But anyway, you know, a week on either side of planting that corn, that's when we see the most seedling disease. And so I think what's happening is we terminate the cover crop. As those re roots decompose, they release all, these, all this pythium into the soil, right? That infects the corn. But the other, the other thing that I, we think might be going on there is that there is some allelopathy playing a role. And so rye produces these allelochemicals. And we've done some work just in the lab, literally in Petri dishes, to show that um, one of the allelocathy allelochemicals produced by rye, if we put that in a Petri dish with Pythium, we get more severe disease on that corn seedling than if we just have Pythium and the corn seedling al alone. So I think there's, there's allelopathy going on there. And then as we already talked about, I think there's some sort of, you know, nitrogen dynamics, nitrogen immobilization going on. It's so we're trying to tease this all apart. It's fascinating. That yeah, fascinating. it is fascinating and fun, <laughs> but it can be frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you have ten years worth of research ahead, though, with yes. you know, all the different questions that need to be answered. Yes. <laughs> um, so, among the other factors, what yes. about temperature? Um, does that influence? that interaction at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. And this get, gives me a chance to talk about the disease tri triangle, which my peers will tell you I'm obsessed with. But the disease, basically, we can only get disease, in this case, seedling disease, if we have a host, corn, a pathogen, Pythium, right? And the right environmental conditions. And so those environmental conditions um, include temperature. So one of the things, so, and remember that temperature is also going to affect that corn seedling germination and growth, right? And so we find that when soils are very cool and wet, 
Um, first of all, that delays germination and just slows down growth of that corn seedling. So basically, that 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 seeds that's imbibed and starting to um, put out the radical and then the seminal roots, um, that's le leaking all these nutrients into the soil. And those nutrients are all at attracting the pythium. And there are some species of pythium that do very well in cool conditions, cold conditions. And so they're being attracted to this corn seedling and then um, infecting the corn seedling. If we have very warm temperatures in the spring and that corn emerges quickly within a few days, we don't see a lot of seedling disease. So we're only, we only see seedling disease when you know it takes 10, 14, 18 days for that corn to emerge because of the cool, cool temperatures. So temperature definitely plays a role in this. Well, and that's a really tough thing as well, because farmers have no control over, Absolutely. Yeah. you know, after the, immediately after they terminate that cover crop, yeah. if the, the temperature plunges, there's really not much they can do. Yes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, so, I mean, we, I, we've just finished some work looking at how these um, temperature drops that, that happen in the Midwest, right? I mean, you can go around and plant your corn and it can be, soil temperatures can be 55, 60, and then all of a sudden we have a cold front come through and those temperatures plunge to below 50 for three or four days. And we find that mm -hmm. under those conditions, when, when those cold fronts come through and just slow, this, slow the germination of the corn and just let it, I always say it's like Thanksgiving for um, the pythium because it's just all these nutrients are just leached into the, the soil and the pythium thinks it's Thanksgiving and climbs in on the corn seedling. So, so we've been able to show that that also increases the risk of seedling disease. We'll be right back to the podcast, but first I want to thank our sponsor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSym by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com dot com backslash two zero two two and now back to the podcast so which nutrients exactly is that pythium uh feasting on that are being leached into the soil so it would it would just be all the exudates from the seed you know okay. the different sugars that are being released yeah i i shouldn't have used the word nutrients i should have just the exudates from this from the Seedlings, so the carbon and the sugars that that um, that are there to attract good microbes, um, right. but they but pythium have evolved to be attracted to those exudates as well. Okay, so kind of building on these out outer factors that play a role here. What about soil type? Does that have any influence on? Uh, the cover crop seedling interaction? I would, yes. I mean, I think that that falls under the environment. And once again, we haven't done a whole lot of work in, in that area, but, you know, um, heavier soils are going to be um, more, are going to be better for the pythium 
because Pythium likes those wet, that wet soil, right? So if you're on a more sandy, well-drained soil, you're probably not going to run into issues like this. Right now, I'm involved in a multi-state trial um, where we have this um, an identical um, field trial going on in 15 states um, from um, Iowa across to um, New York and then all the way down to Florida and Texas. So 15 states there and we're looking at this effect of termination, not only on um, seedling disease, but also on um, insects, pests and beneficial insects, and also weed management. And so I'm hoping that as we, we've just finished the first year of that trial, and I'm hoping that as we collect this data from all these different geographies across the US, um, they're all going to have different soil types, right? As well as temperature and soil moisture. And so hopefully um, that's going to give us some information about, you know, how soil type might in- influence this interaction. Well, the, I'm really glad you brought that up because that leads me to my next question was going to be asking about, you know, we see those cool falls and, and those temperature swings here in the Midwest or, or upper Midwest, um, are you seeing any of that soil temperature effect in some of those more Southern states? Do they have that same issue? That's one of the questions that we're hoping to answer. I, what I can tell you, um, you know, I've just briefly looked at the data that's coming in from all the collaborators. And um, what was interesting was in Texas, they they saw similar similar results to what we saw. So when that rye was terminated very close to planting the corn, um, we saw a lot more seedling disease on their seedlings. But then we also um, I've also seen data from Pennsylvania and Kentucky, and um, they had no disease. And so, yeah, I mean it's just kind of um, interesting. Another question that we have um, is about biomass. So we think that, you know, the amount of biomass that is produced also plays a role in the seedling disease risk. And so I know that in Texas and here in Iowa, we had a lot of biomass. Um, I am not sure about Pennsylvania and Kentucky. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, getting the, the other data from these states, the, the data about the cover crop biomass, about the soil type, temperatures of planting, you know, uh, moisture at planting, et cetera, to see how, how this is all playing a role. And so I guess, Sarah, that like that's one thing that I want to point out to listeners is that, you know, this does not happen every time after you, you plant corn after a, a, a cover crop of cereal rye. You don't always get seedling disease. It's just sometimes you get the seedling disease and sometimes it causes this yield loss. And so, I mean, that's really why we're doing this research. We're trying to understand what are the factors that play a role in this seedling disease problem that results in yield loss. Because if we understand it, if we understand them, if we understand what's playing a role, then we can come up with management practices for, for farmers um, to use. And so that that's kind of what I expected from the, this multi-state trial is that Sometimes we're going to see seedling disease and sometimes we're not. And, and that's okay because that's when we can start to 
tease apart what is playing a role, what are the factors that play a role. Sure. So you, you're seeing this when cereal rye is the cover crop species yes. that's used over winter. Yes. Is Does this also happen resulting in seedling disease when other overwintering types of cover crops are used or is it just rye? No. So that's a great question. So, I mean, one of the reasons why we focus on rye in Iowa is because it's the most common um, cover crop because it can, it establishes well in the fall and it survives our winter and it comes back in the spring and we get this lush growth and a lot of biomass produced, right? And so that's why a lot of a lot of farmers here are using rye and that's why we chose to work with rye. We did do some research a few years ago where we also looked at camelina. So we had a corn soybean rotation and then we had cover crops in that rotation which were camelina and rye. So we had camelina before corn, rye before corn, camelina before soybeans, rye before soybeans. And um, kind of what we were thinking was that you would plant rye, you would have a cover crop of rye um, after corn, then you would go into soybeans. So you'd have corn, rye, soybeans, camelina, corn, right? So you'd have this um, broadleaf um, cover crop before, rather than a grass cover crop before the corn. And we thought that that would help. And so we did see with that camelina before the corn, we did see a reduction in the amount of seedling disease. And we did not um, see the, the yield reduction like we do with that cereal rye cover crop. But it's just, you know, um, camelina doesn't, it's, it's harder to establish in the fall. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit um, yesterday, I was on a, a webinar and we talked a little bit about um, red clover. Um, sometimes that doesn't survive our winters very well. And so that's the challenge that we have. Um, but yes, I would expect that if we grew a different cover crop, especially a broadleaf cover crop before corn, that we would have less of a problem with seedling disease. Now, I, if there's many people out there will may know that Pythium and Fusarium have a very high, wide host range. And so these other cover crops could also be hosts of Pythium and um, Fusarium. And we know that Camelina is a host of Pythium and Fusarium. So, you know, that's where this, our other ideas about allelopathy and nitrogen immobilization, et cetera, come into to playing a role in this scenario because we know these other cover crops are hosts of Pythium and Fusarium and yet we don't see this seedling disease on the corn that we do. And so there's got to be other factors playing a role. So other than you've mentioned Pythium and Fusarium, are those the two main offending root diseases or are there other soil-borne diseases that um, growers need to be concerned about? I would say that um, Fusarium and Pythium are the major um, soil-borne diseases that growers need to be aware of. The other one would be Pythium, um, and, uh, Pythium, sorry. The other one would be Rhizotonia, and um, then like maybe Macrophemina, which would cause charcoal rot. So there are pathogens, but it's predominantly Pythium and Fusarium that are the, are the most 
um, prevalent soil-borne pathogens on most crops. What we found with when we when we did our research, looking at our, our initial research, is we found that the rye cover crop did not increase the amount of fusarium we found on the corn. It was uh, the rye cover crop only increased the number of pythium species that, or the amount of pythium that we found on the corn. So the rye is increasing the pythium. And so the, the seedling disease must be because of the pythium. Okay. So are there any fungicide treatments that uh, growers can use that can help those seedlings uh, thrive in spite of the, the potential seedling disease? So another great question. And um, so all commercial, most commercial corn, unless it's non-organic, you know, organic, is going to be treated with a seed treatment. And those seed treatments all contain a fungicide called metalaxyl or mephanoxam, um, which is active against those pythium species. Um, within the last couple of years, we've started to get some other fungicides um, that also have activity against, uh, against those pythium species. So yeah, there are seed treatments available and they can help. But in all our trials, we work with fungicide um, seed treatment. So these fungicide seed treatments, are, they're, they're not a silver bullet. Um, they only, you know, it's a very small amount on the seed. It protects a very small area um, around that seed as that seed treatment, you know, um, uh, dissolves in the, in the soil water. And then those seed treatments only tend to stick around for about 14 days. So, yeah, I mean, there are seed treatments. We've, we've investigated a little bit of infarrow treatments, which are not very common, um, commonly used. And um, we're planning to do some more research on that um, area in the in the coming years. But so in terms of uh, a seed treatment, growers should be looking at the seed treatment and seeing what active ingredients it contains. So um, it should have metalaxyl or mephanoxam. There's also um, ethaboxam that that will help. And there's um, another fungicide which escapes me now. And then there's the strobilurins or the, the, the QOIs that have some activity against those pythium species. But yeah, I mean, like I said, our research is done with, with fungicides and we can still get seedling disease. Okay. Well, uh, we're running short on time. So where can our listeners go for more information? Oh, that's a great question. So um, the best place might be to go to the um, Iowa State Extension and Outreach Crops Team um, webpage. Um, so I, I often post articles there about my um, cover crop research. The other thing is every, listeners are always welcome to email me. My email address is alisonr, A-L-I-S-O-N-R, at iastate.edu. Um, and I, yeah, those would probably be the best places. All right, great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Allison. Thank you very, very much for ha having me. I was very, it was fun to talk about my research. 
Once again, I want to thank our sponsor. What if you could do more in 2022? TerraSym by New Leaf Symbiotics utilizes the power of microbe technology to increase yield, improve nutrient uptake, and achieve stronger ROI, and is now available in convenient planter box application for corn and soybeans. To learn more and sign up for the 2022 risk-free satisfaction promise, visit newleafsim.com slash 2022. That's newleafsym.com backslash 2022. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.